0: Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience.
1: Ken Harvey, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you.
0: Welcome to being the Center of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, I call it Center of the Universe because that's the slogan for the town I grew up in, and uh, it's where I live now, and you and I are in each other's Center of the Universe right now, and so uh, appreciate you doing this, appreciate Jock connecting me to you, Uh, Jock's a great dude, he told me a lot of great things about you, so... uh well, really it,
0: it, it means a lot that one, like you say, Jock is a great person and, and for him to uh, think of me and think that I would be a good person. I, 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 really respect him and appreciate it. So glad to be here. You, 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 you it's taken a minute for us to get together. So I appreciate you uh, staying on top
1: of it. Well, I've learned a lot about you the last couple of months. Uh, and I read your book, uh, Stepping Stones. I enjoyed excellent. it. I read it very quickly because it was a, a page turner. Uh, your life, uh, especially between, uh, Uh, Early age and being drafted in the 88 draft was not my experiences at all. Uh, You you went through some rough stuff. How would you describe uh, growing up in in Texas?
0: So, you know, it's always kind of amazing to me, like when people say it was rough it wasn't rough. I, you know, it was, it was, it was the journey. I mean, everybody has a story, right. And, and, and my story, although it wasn't uh, the, the uh, classic way of making it to the pros, it, it was a way. And sometimes you have to learn some lessons early on, but I'm glad it happened early on. And, and as you read, if you read, the, uh, you know, as you read the book, one wrong turn in any direction could have been, you know, your whole life could have been over with when I when I was uh, stealing meat at at the uh, restaurant that I was working with, and the owner came in. Uh, you know, that could have turned into me going to jail for years. Um, you know, one wrong turn could have went in a thousand different directions, and by the grace of God, I, it all worked out. So here we are.
1: Yeah, I, I was surprised to to read that you basically quit high school, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. pretty close to graduation. What what was going through your head at the time?
0: Well, so so I I had gotten to a point in high school, and I think it's uh, you know maybe some kids you don't understand you don't know how to express yourself, and and you're doing it, but you're kind of going through the motions because you know you're supposed to go through high school, but you don't necessarily know what you want to do, where you want to go, and you and you don't feel like you're you're in place, and and so I got to a point where I was a good athlete. Coaches wanted me to play football, but then um, my grades weren't good because I was missing a lot of days of school. So I was just skipping school and not really doing anything but sitting at home watching TV. And so uh, you get to a point where you either get straight F, drop out of school, at least in my mind, drop out of school, get my mind right, and then go back, or you take easy classes just so that you can get by. And I wasn't, I knew I wasn't dumb. Uh, so I, was, I didn't want to take easy classes just to get by. Straight up, you know, you just it would be just going through the motion and and trying to you know just survive. Or to me, in my in my world at that time, was to drop out, get my mind right, uh, and then focus on going back. And so that's kind of what I did was to drop out. Um, you know, not not necessarily the best situation, but but for me, that was a kind of a springboard or a stepping stone to you know leading to everything else.
1: Yeah. And you went back to high school pretty quickly. Right? Yeah. You weren't out that long. My, my
0: goal was, my goal, my intent was like, I wanted to get out of school, get my mind right, and then go back. But I wanted to do it my way. You know, I wanted to say I I went back as opposed to being forced back or being forced to do something. So I went back pretty much right away. Uh, but, you know, during that time of, 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 of dropping out, you get to see what people thought of you. And. Where as much as there was some negative, there was a lot of encouragement, too. You know, there were a lot of people along the way that said, hey, man, you're, you know, you're too big to be dropping out or throwing your life away. Man, you're too smart to do this and that. You know, so was a lot of encouragement. And then there were some people looking at me and, you know, without saying a word, it was like, well, you're another idiot or you're stupid or you're dumb. And so my goal was to get back and kind of prove to everybody that I wasn't dumb. Uh, I just didn't really have a purpose or a, a focus on where I wanted to go.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a lot of football players that have, have played at the highest level. You're actually my uh, first uh, guy that got drafted in the first 12 picks, I will oh. say.
0: that. <laughs> Thumbs up, uh, yep.
1: <laughs> but a, a lot of guys grow up and their passion gets them to the highest levels of football. Some guys uh, like the game but don't really love it but are clearly physically talented for it and they they need someone outside of uh, their own mind to to, to motivate them. Were you did you find yourself in that place as a younger person where you needed others to motivate you? Or did You, you know, just, that, was, that okay. was
0: actually really observant of you to, to, to mention that, because, yeah, um, I was a uh, I won't say a people pleaser, but I I, I fed off the energy of people and, and trying to do good for people and with people. And so that that was that was motivation. You know, good job, Ken. I mean, you can do this. That would encourage me. That would keep me going. Uh, dropping out. Forced me to have to kind of rely on myself, um, or at least not so much myself, rely on God. Um, but you know, that's an invisible God. So you rely on me. What I felt was God saying that you had a purpose and a destiny for your life, and it's like it's like getting a um, I don't know a, a lifeline, a life vest that someone threw to you, and they're pulling you back to shore because now all of a sudden where you were out there where you felt like it was by yourself, now you have a direction and a purpose. And you start realizing that you want to, you want to survive and you want to keep going on. And so now, now you have more of a focus. And I think that's what I needed was focus and, 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 and a reason to do, and then having the skill set or at least the direction of how do you go about doing that? And that was kind of how I tried to map out, you know, not necessarily, uh, planning the pros, but how was it going to try to get to college? Which, you know, I guess thank God for being dumb in some ways because I was too stupid to realize, you know, that was the, the chances of doing that were, you know, pretty pretty wide. But sometimes that's what faith is. is You go off of things that you believe is impossible and you try it anyhow and, and you find out.
1: Yeah, it's really about going from where you are to the next stepping stone. Uh, and sometimes you can plan it and sometimes it just happens. Right. Uh, but the path is yours and the, and the path is valuable because of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many people in the world. And if, if, if you know, as I wrote the book, it was the hardest thing was to write it. Right. I, 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 I felt like I was supposed to write it and I, I would start with a chapter. And then I was like, I, now how can I write this? And I didn't want to mention people's names and throw people under the bus because one perspective is maybe different than another perspective. And so I, I kept the names out of it for the most part. But how do you write this and make it interesting? And, you know, I've never written a a book. I've always written uh, either children's books or thriller, Suspense novels where it's all kind of in my mind, but to write about my life, you have to go back and face things. Uh, But then once you face it uh, and and you see it, you get it out there. And hopefully that book can then teach people that it's possible. Now, there are are methods and things that you have to do, but, but a lot of things are possible. And the more I talk to successful people or people who've had journeys, it's the foundation of what everyone's done. is, is similar. It's just they had to, they had to go about it in different ways, and so that's kind of excuse me. That's kind of that's kind of what I've learned is that um, you know one you can't you know rarely rarely it happens where it's going to be just by luck. Usually there's a lot of hard work involved that people don't see. It's it's a dream or a passion for something, something that you're focusing on. It's creating habits and systems that you that you can follow it's taking chances and being a risk taker um successful people a lot of successful people are risk risk takers now that's not saying that you can't get and be successful in other ways there are people who work jobs and they're good at their skill set but you know I think it's you have to have some of those components right you gotta you gotta bust your butt in the classroom so that when you get this high-paying job you know, you're doing it every day, but it's because you busted your butt in the classroom way back when and you developed some habits of studying and all that. So, you know, there are some things that are just fundamentally truths and you have to learn to uh live with those.
1: Yeah, I think when I said uh rough childhood, I, I and technically this wasn't your childhood, but when you went out to California to play for a uh, junior college yeah. team, you, yeah you you weren't sure where you were getting food from.
0: Uh, for a good part of that time, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, they used to be, you know, every college person like, uh, you know, we, we we starved and we lived off of, Ro- you know, Roman noodles and we, you know, we've done all this stuff, and so you don't know where you're getting your food from, but 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 that was part of the journey, and fortunately there were uh, good people around me. Even in my book, I talked about my roommate, and we came around after the first year, and and learned to share with each other. Um, and my wife was my girlfriend then was a big part of, uh, helping me survive. And then sometimes you just gotta, you gotta struggle. And, and, and that's part of life, you know, it's, it's those missed meals that make you appreciate the meals that you have. And and that was kind of part of me. Um, hopefully, you know, if, if anyone said, oh man, you're humble and all that stuff, it's just because, you know, look, I, I, I appreciate the things that I've gotten and where I've gotten to, uh, because of the, some of the things I had to go through. And I think that's, that's that's you know, if you put it in a, a self-help book, sometimes when you go through the it, character and hopefully that built some character in me.
1: I imagine uh, the process of writing the book about your early life uh was therapeutic for you, was it?
0: It was. So you know when you write when you write about yourself and I <laughs> I would suggest, I mean, it's not, you don't have to write a novel or anything, but for everyone, you know, if, you, if you're just trying to go back and trying to deal with some things, write, write it out like you're writing a story. Maybe you're the only one that sees it, and you just realize it doesn't even have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be in order, but when you start writing it, you start kind of coaching yourself. You start seeing things that you may not have never seen before. You start realizing the things that you thought were so hard may have been really simple, but but while you were in it, it seemed like it was the worst thing and the hardest thing in the world to do. And then, and then you get past it and you say, wow, I got past it. And it may be something that could teach you things in the future. And so in and, and writing a book, it was therapeutic because I had to face some demons, uh, face some things about myself and realize some things that I had achieved, but also some things that I still needed to work on. And, and that was kind of a, a eye opener that... Uh, you know, sometimes if you don't learn whatever lesson you're trying to be taught, you'll have to do it over again. It comes out in a different way, different format, but it's the same foundational thing, right? And if you're if you're uh, angry all the time, you may get a nice job, you may get all this, you know, the wealth, all that stuff. But then you haven't dealt with that anger. It may end up. You may end up in divorce. You may end up not talking to your kids. You may end up getting. You know, a lot of things because you haven't dealt with that core issue. And and that's uh, that's what the book, long answer to a short question. That's the therapeutic part of the book uh, that helped me.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't know what it's like to be an NFL player. I don't even know what it's like to even realize it's a possibility. At What point did you think it was going to be a possibility that you could have a, a long career in the NFL?
0: Well, a <laughs> long career in the NFL. I, you know, Mike, my, 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 I went, started went at my senior year in college and we started playing some of the, uh, postseason games. Our first game was actually, uh, we played in Japan. It was, uh, called the Coca-Cola bowl. And then I was most valuable defensive player there. Then I went to the, uh, East West shrine game and I was most valuable defensive player there. Then the senior bowl and I was most valuable defensive player there. So I was like, Hey, you know, I may have something. And then you know, I'll go to the combines and, and I and I have a great combine. And so people are starting to talk and they're starting to say, Oh, you know, this guy may be saying awesome. And so I get drafted, and it's way unexpected. I, I hadn't even talked to the Cardinals when they drafted me. I didn't even know they were interested in me. And so they they called me up and said, Hey, we want to draft you. You get drafted, and then you're playing. And I'm not thinking about longevity. I'm just thinking about, you know, the day I got drafted, my my goal was like in my mind. I want to show them that they got a bargain getting me at number twelve. You know that was my mindset. i want to, I want to let them know that they that they were geniuses by getting me. And so I got you know, I got drafted and and my career almost, you know, it almost took a nosedive. I don't want to say because of me or because of them, but you know sometimes guys get to the pros and it's not that they're not a good athlete or it could be a a superstar, but maybe the coaches have them in the wrong position or or the team. Overdrafted in a certain spot, or the people that you're playing with is not as good, so it makes you look bad. They had me, and they wanted me to be a third down uh, cover guy, and I couldn't cover. Yeah, I couldn't catch. Yeah, I couldn't cover anybody. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't a cover guy, and I was a pass rusher. But they were like, you too small to be a pass rusher, and so I fortunately was able to demonstrate and prove to them every day in practice, go against their best guy, beat them. And not only beat them, embarrass them, and so that they had to finally say, you know what, maybe this guy's a pass rusher. And that kind of gave me some longevity in my career of being a pass rusher.
1: Yeah, your sack stats are ridiculous. I mean, you averaged almost nine sacks a season, which is a ton of sacks, uh, over a long period of time. Uh, you, you only had one interception, which I think meant you were you're were being used properly as a pass rusher most of the time.
0: Well, no, I, there, there were times where I had to drop a whole lot. Like first and second downs, I was always a, a linebacker, and I was always in the coverage. I just couldn't catch. I, could, I couldn't, I could, I used to, they used to say I was either Roberto Duran, hands of stones, <laughs> or or I would say, you know, I couldn't catch a cold butt naked in Alaska. I mean, I just I, I wasn't a catch guy. But my second career, career interception was in the Pro Bowl. And I ran it back for to a touchdown. So nice. Well, yeah, you know, if you if you got if you got to get you know a interception, that's a good one to get
1: one in. No, absolutely. Uh, what, what do you enjoy about football when you play?
0: You, you know what? It, it's the challenge of knowing the person in front of you is trying to stop you from achieving your goal, right? And so you know they're going to try everything that they can to stop you, and you got to keep pressing, you got to keep going. And then when you when you achieve your goal, which for me is good getting a sack when you achieve your goal then it's like the greatest feeling in the world and 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 the best thing is to have that person you know yelling look out to his quarterback dragging on the bottom of your leg because you know you just manhandled and you got through it and so you know even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking like you know here's that's a life lesson right sometimes the the greatest gift is getting to the end goal but you're going to have to go through that challenge a big offensive lineman that running back that's going to try to stop you sometimes i got triple team but when you keep pressing and you keep pushing, then sometimes you make that goal. And it's like, man, it's, it is the greatest feeling in the world. And so uh, I wish everybody could experience that type of feeling once in their life.
1: There are very few people on earth that are, are equipped to go up against a right or left tackle that they're, they're so big. I don't understand how, how uh, humans are, are as big as they are. And I can't bigger, understand how people get through them to get to the quarterback.
0: Well, you know what i was i was i was fast at the time you know now a lot of people are fast but I, you know i ran like a four five uh, four five four six forty but i was bench pressing about 500 pounds and <laughs> and so whereas i would shock them with the speed and then when it was just to the speed i would you know blow their mind with the strength and so yeah i was i was kind of a, a little combination of that at the time uh and so it's it, it, you know these big linemen to be as big as they are and to be as agile as they are, for me, it was easy, right? I could play 80 plays, and if I got two sacks and 80 plays, I'm the hero of the game, right? I'm the star. For them, they're playing 78 plays great, and then they mess up on two, and everyone's looking at them like, you're horrible. So I always had the advantage, and, you know, to me, that was uh, that was cool. It's, they're, they're the ones that really uh, I respect the whole lot because I know what I was trying to do, and they had to stop me.
1: Yeah. That's a pretty thankless job playing offensive line at any no level. Doubt.
0: No yeah. doubt. It is. I mean, I, I, I look at it and I, I said, uh, you know, it's like, it's like teachers, uh, as we found out, you know, with COVID, uh, it's a pretty thankless job. It's like nurses. You got those things, jobs. but when, when one mess up or one thing that's not there or something happens, and you know, all of a sudden you realize how much and how important they really are to you. So, uh, You know, I've always respected offensive linemen and and in the general population. I try to respect, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I try to respect other people who are in jobs where no one gets the glory, but they they do their job and they do it well. And some of those people are, you know, affecting and changed my life as well just by being a good person.
1: Yeah. So I I have to ask, uh, and I don't think you mentioned, you may have mentioned this in the book. Did you want to get drafted by the Cowboys or somebody? That you were
0: before growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, I, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Austin, Texas. And so, you know, the whole family's Texas, right? You know, we didn't eat dinner sometimes if, if the Cowboys lost, you know, parents are pissed off and no one wants to cook and all that stuff. So, you know, you want to be, you want to be a, uh, a Cowboy. I wanted to be a Cowboy player growing up. I watched Tutel Jones, Harvey Martin, uh, Robert Newhouse, uh, Tony Dorsett, you know, um, you know, you're watching all these guys, and I finally I got a chance to meet Tutal Jones. Uh, probably, I met him a couple years ago, but I, I met him again a couple of months ago. And I'm still like a kid in a candy store. I'm like standing up next to him. I'm like, can hey, I can I get, can I get guy? I'm Nervous to talk to him. Excuse me, Mr. Tutal, Can I can I can I bother you for a second? But it also kind of gives you a perspective of when people come up to you. Not you know, not that I'm all that, but if I see someone that's nervous or whatever, I try to make them feel as comfortable as possible because I know on my side, I've, I've been like a kid in a candy store when I've got a chance to meet some of the people that I've always wanted to meet, you know, so it, it's kind of cool.
1: You and I are both uh, in our 50s, and so I remember Ed Tuttle Jones. I'm, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I grew up in uh, Redskins territory. We'll talk about yeah. uh, the commanders here in a second. But uh, Ed Tuttle Jones and Randy White were my two favorite cowboys. Those, those two guys could wreck a game more than any two com- combined uh, that I would ever seen to that point.
0: Well, I got, I got, I got a picture of me, and, and by God, he is—he is a big man. I mean, I could—I'm standing next to him. I could imagine getting slapped the side of the head by uh, <laughs> by him. I mean, it's—I think I'm looking at him like, my God, this is a big gentleman. So. You know, there's some big jokers out there, and they know how to play the game, and they enjoy the game. And, and you know, it's it, regardless of the team, you respect the game. You respect players of the game. You now you want to have your rivalries, and you want to have all that. But uh, there's some guys who you just respect because they play the game extremely hard, extremely well, and do a good job.
1: Right, right on. Uh, you, what's your fondest memory or uh, best relationship uh, from your time in Phoenix?
0: So, uh, you know, one of, one of my uh, – my, one, of my, one of my best friends, uh, a guy named Anthony Bell. He was a linebacker as well. My, my rookie year, they told us to sing. No, uh, I'm like, I'm not singing. I can't sing. And, and like, you better get up there, rookie, sing. So I started singing a song. He told me, "Shut up! You know, you're not even singing my song, right?" And I'm like, "Well, you come make me sing my song, you know, right?" And he started walking. And this joker, I'm six, I'm six-two, two hundred thirty-five pounds. I'm benching around, you know, four ninety-five. He walks up. He's six three, around two hundred fifty five. He's benching five hundred fifty pounds. This is like meat hooks, and I'm I'm looking at him. I'm like, oh my god, I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta do the deed. We gotta, we gotta fight. And someone broke us up, and I was shaking so bad. I was like, oh thank God. Uh, but then we ended up becoming great friends, and so uh, you know that was like it was, it was it was cool. And and as a matter of fact, even to the point because he's such a good guy, even to the point of kind of saving my career you know he 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 showed me how to go against a tight end i never really went against tight ends a whole lot and so he tried he showed me how to position my feet how to take on the tight end and that pretty much saved my career as being more than just a pass rusher is to be a linebacker as well and so uh you know if if that's kind of a memory that is that is one of my fondest memories Is just that uh you know he's a good good guy there yeah
1: It sounds like they taught you some pretty important stuff that um, may have changed your trajectory in the NFL, too.
0: Yeah, you know, there's some guys that I'm amazed, like, it's so selfless. They're not selfish in any way. They just want the team to win. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to help the team win. And you you see some of those guys in, like, every business, every group gathering. You need people like that that don't care about the glory, don't care about whatever. They just want the team to win. And are willing to the point of, you know, i will basically end up taking his job, willing to the point of me taking his job in order for us to get to where we need to go as a team. And and that's man,
1: hats yeah. off to that. In your experience, out of a 53 man roster, how many guys are like that?
0: You know what? Um, on on a good team, like there's, yeah, probably most most of the most of the starters are like that. I mean, and, you know, you may have 11 guys on a on, on, on defense and. Ten of them would be guys who will do everything because it is about a team. Every once in a while, you'll get one person who's pretty much all about themselves and all about what well, can I get out the game. But for a lot of uh, uh, guys, it's it's about the team, and that's probably the great thing about football. It it, it becomes a team. It becomes that you got to trust the person next to you. That if if you do your job and he does his job, you're both good enough athletes. To make the things happen and you know what he's going to do without even thinking about it he knows what you're going to do without thinking about it and if you mess up you to try to cover each other's butt that's teamwork that's that becomes the whole group where you're all looking out for each other and you see the great teams become that way uh we'll we'll talk about the commanders later but the commanders defense you see them all you know no one no one now is is it's all about me it's all about we're gonna all keep trying to get great together and we're gonna be happy for each other. If one person gets a sack, we're all cheering for them. Or if one person gets an inception. we're all part of this great team trying to win a game. And that's that's kind of the NFL. You, you know, I think it's TV may show and you hear about guys who are kind of selfish and all about them, but it's not as many as it as it looks like it's on TV. You know, it's it's you know, fifty three guys. You may have two or three that's like that. I I, know, I doubt even that much, but you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't.
1: Yeah, uh, th- those me guys tend to have the cameras follow them.
0: It is, and that's, that's the hard thing because the cameras follow them. So then, so then either one the younger generation sees and say that's the way I need to be, or or guys start saying, "Dang, I'm busting my butt. No cameras follow me." So you start becoming that way a little bit because you know our, everybody wants some attention I and mean, everybody wants to be kind of a, a star. But um, you know, it, it is what it is. You do you play, you go out and you play your game, and if you play it well enough. Then hopefully people take notice, uh, and 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 oftentimes it happens. Sometimes it don't. Like uh, London Fletcher, who the who played with the um, with the uh, Commanders. He, I think he's eligible for the Hall of Fame now. But you know, sometimes you don't get as much publicity as you should be. Brian Mitchell, who should be in the Hall of Fame, you know, not going to get as much publicity as he should be. Now he he talks a big game, so <laughs> but he backed <laughs> it up. But he, you know, there's some guys who don't talk. Art Monk, it took him a long time to get into the Hall of Fame, but had steady records, you know, balling, and never really got a chance until later that he should have been in. And, you know, his first opportunity to be in the Hall of Fame, he should have been there, and he wasn't. And He wasn't a talker. He didn't talk a lot of lip. He didn't showboat. He didn't do a dance. He just went out and performed every
1: day. And if he had done some showboating, he maybe gets into the Hall of Fame a little bit earlier. But he did it the right way. I I love Art Monk's story. I love the way he played. And I I love the way he carried himself.
0: Yeah, he's 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 he was one of those guys. When I came to the team, I know he's on his way out. But um, my wife and I got became friends with Charles Mann, Art Monk, uh, Monty Coleman, Daryl Green, and, and they kind of showed the example of how you're supposed to be. How do you handle yourself as a player? There was a a a. a attitude and the way that they handle themselves and you say you know what okay that's the way i'm supposed to be and tim Tim is another guy that's the way i'm supposed to handle myself these are super bowl players who've been to you know the highest level and then they handle themselves like true leaders and so yeah that uh that was perfect example for me coming come to this from from arizona where you didn't have as much media airtime to come into dc where it was you know this was the Washington Redskins and, and they were just coming off a couple of Super Bowls and everybody was filling the stands and the stadium still rocking and all that stuff. So it, it taught me a lot.
1: Yeah. So speaking of the Redskins now commanders, when I was looking at your career stats, I noticed that your first four years in Washington, after six years in Phoenix, you went to the pro bowl.
0: That I did. So what, what changed? Nothing changed. I mean I, I played just as hard, if not harder, in in uh, in Arizona. I think what changed is I got more T V time and people start, you know, once they got recognition. Like in Arizona, when we when we first went there, we it was uh, it was a blackout rule. If the stadium wasn't full, then the the game was never televised. So our games were never televised. Um, the the owner charged, I think, the second high ticket prices and the team wasn't winning, so we didn't have a full stadium. There was not a, a lot of TV time for people to recognize us as a, or me as a player and so you know if you don't get TV time and this is back when we didn't have all the TV you know, sports channels you didn't get as much publicity and if you didn't get as much publicity people didn't know about you and unless you just dominated with stats, uh, you know it, it wouldn't happen but once you start dominating my first year with the uh, with the Redskins I had 13 and a half sacks that year and so that gave me the boost. People said, whoa, who is this guy? And then, you know, from there, it was like, oh, he's still doing his thing. He's still doing his thing. So, yeah. I got yeah, it. if you're if you're not on
1: TV, you're just a stat line in the paper that, right. that played, right? And
0: no, and no one can tell. No one can tell that maybe you got three guys on you and you still managed to get two sacks in a game. You know, no one can see that or, or that. You're the, you're the best player on the defense, and so everyone's running away from you, and you spend most of your games chasing stuff. You know, no one, no, one, no one can see those type of things with just a number, and that's the disadvantage that some people have.
1: Uh, I, I imagine you enjoyed your time in, in Washington more than you enjoyed your time in Phoenix, or am I wrong there?
0: No, it was both. I mean, you know, look, Phoenix was like, this was my chance. This was my, this was my first start. And there's a lot of great people there. I mean, diehard, the, the the amount of fans that we had, there wasn't a huge number. Diehard, there's a guy there who would get every card that was ever made about me, put them, take the time to put them all in a book. And every year, even while I was in in Washington, he would send me the cards. This is the first edition. This is blah blah blah. And these are like card cards. And he was he was you know just diehard fans. So it was it was a good time in both areas. Um, you know, here I got more publicity, but I would never slight uh, Phoenix because you know I think I played just as hard and did some pretty incredible plays in Arizona. But once again, you know, just never got the TV time, so people didn't get a chance to
1: see it. All right, I'm going to switch uh, topics here uh, awkwardly because I, I don't know how to transition from <laughs> playing uh, football to writing children's books. But how did you get into that?
0: Here's your transition. So when you got hit in the head and you were knocked out on the on the football field, did you think about writing children's books? (laughs) No, you know. So so my first my first children's book, this story, uh, you know, I don't know if my boys like it or not, but you know, both of them in school, uh, one of them came home and he's asking all these questions about a character, uh, or at least his opportunity to be a character on uh, on a cartoon. But then at the end, he was like, but there, he was worried that he was never going to be on in in the cartoon because he said there were no brown characters. And I was like, wow, you know, it it, it didn't hit me until then. It's like 25 years ago. But I'm like, you know, you're right. And if you don't see it, you know, it's not something that, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but for him, through the eyes of my son, that's what he saw. And I was like, you know what? I want him him and his brother to see themselves as a character in, in a book, in a kid's book and it's a you know i wanted it to be a simple kid's book so the book is like hide and seek but i wanted them to know that they were a character so every time they picked up their book they could say that's me but any other kid could read it and they get whatever they want but my boys would know that that's them and so i did that book uh like i would like say i think it's like 24 25 years ago and then fortunately um terry cruz who's the actor um, was a great artist. and He did a phenomenal job with the artwork. And then 20-some years later, we actually republished the book and, uh, and used augmented reality with the book as well. So that's kind of been my, that was my taste of writing. And, you know, you write right to your level, right? He ran fast, boom. He, he jumped high, you know. But, uh, but it was the taste of it. But then also I got a chance to see when we passed out those books, Washington Post at the time, they printed up a bunch of them. We gave them to kids in the inner city. And you got a chance to see how they looked at it and said, man, that's me. That's... And, you, and you realize you were planting some good seeds. So from that, I started writing children's books. And uh, just, just trying to, you know, my imagination is kid-like anyhow. So I'm kind of like, you know, hopefully what I write can maybe plant a good seed and make a difference to somebody. Uh, who knows? I don't know, my thriller Suspense novels, that's just stuff that's been, <laughs> that's just to remind people I did play linebacker. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, you know, but it's kind of the test to see it to me, it's amazing to take a blank sheet of paper and to create a world or to create a story from a blank sheet of paper. And where, where a lot of people say, man, I wish I could have, I, I mean, I think to me, you know, maybe it was a gift, but um, it, it it's, it's, it's just kind of a fun, cool thing to do.
1: Yeah, your origin story for writing children's books is the best story I've heard in a long time, man. I, I love that. You, you, you should have won Dad of the Year uh, the year you wrote that book. <laughs>
0: well, you know what? It, it, it's, uh, it's just my, my goal. My goal had been to write a book for them when they were uh, six and eight, and then when they were 14 and 12, which I did, it was another book I wrote called Brothers of the Storm, and then I wanted to write a book for them as adults, like so that they would have a trilogy, three books as they kind of went through their life. I got the two done. I don't know about the the other one uh, as an adult, but um, but you know, it's not. It, I think most dads would do it. Uh, sometimes it's just you know, I was able to because of football to do it and to get some notoriety and get some help. But um, most dads would do it, and we do it. You know, you do it. It's, you know, we. Tuck your bed, kids in bed at night and you make up a story. You know, you're doing pretty much the same thing. I just happen to put it on a piece of paper. But just don't say you can't because kids will remember more than anything. They'll remember the time that you spent with them as opposed to the story. The story is kind of association, but they'll remember that hug, that us going to bed at night and dad coming in the room and reading the story. That's what they remember, and that's uh, that to me is more precious than anything.
1: You mentioned Terry Cruz. How did you and uh, Terry become friends?
0: So, once again, I, I, you know, now, now that you're mentioning it, I guess
1: all my friends would be people that
0: I was going to fight because <laughs> uh, Terry was a linebacker behind me. We're playing ball. And, and you know, linebackers, you, you, you end up sharing or being in the same room with each other and you end up uh, on you know, road trips together and all that stuff. We're in practice one time. He hit me so hard because Terry was like, I got to go. You know, he, he was hungry. He wanted to go. And he was a good player. And he hit me so hard. My helmet went in my neck took a chunk of meat out of my neck. Oh. And, and so I'm sitting up there bleeding. He's thinking he's going to lose his job. I'm like, you know, we're cool. But it was kind of like, okay, we're, we're friends. We've we got to be friends or we're going to kill each other. I'm going to kill you or you're going to kill me. I, I say kill. This is- yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: We're going to hurt each other. We're going to hit each other. But but it was that kind of attitude. And it's like, you know what? And he was a funny guy. So it's like, you know, we're friends. And then he's super creative. And so that was the other side of me that we had in common that that uh, that kind of, you know, put that friendship together. So, yeah, we're friends.
1: Yeah. Well, you also uh, have the reputation and I think it's well founded that you're both very nice people and very considerate people.
0: You know, I think uh, we both realize that you know, it's, it's what what we've achieved, the where we're at is that it's a gift, uh, that, that we're no better than anybody else. And that uh, we, you know, we, we played a game or his acting or whatever, that it's a gift, but, you know, we put on our pants like everybody else. You try to, you try to treat people with respect. And if anything, that's a, a example of my parents teaching me. And, and so hopefully, you know i'm a good representation of my parents and then hopefully my kids are a good uh representation of me and my wife and and, and hopefully that's the case um you know we'll, we'll see And not every time look there there's some people that you would go to and they'd be like a kid ain't the nicest person i've had this or that and there are moments that you have in your life i'm not coming across them in my sanctum but uh um you know i try to treat people with respect and, and hopefully it comes across that way
1: all right another uh weird transition tell me about float ball
0: oh good one okay so so this is going to be kind of a long long short story um long time ago a friend of mine me and another guy who's aerospace engineer we did a zero gravity flight it's on the, you go on the plane plane's hollowed out it's a it's matted at the, at the floor of it the plane kind of goes up and then it drops and for the second 15 seconds it drops the plane is dropping dropping faster than your body so you float You get experience what it's like to be weightless and so we did this and it was a cool event you know was like, then we were like uh, you know this would be cool but uh, wh- what happens when people go to space or if uh, if uh, you want to bring people back you know let's let's create a game so i came up with this uh, idea of a game called Floatball, ball and it's kind of based off of numbers and and lights and, and colors and all that stuff and so kind of set on the shelf years later you know in the last couple of years last year actually I'm like, you know what, it's sitting here and I need to do something with it. So I kind of came up with an Earth version of that game. Um, and so I'm rolling it out, actually, so you're the first person to know. I'm, I'm going to try to roll it out next year. I got uh, I got the rules. I got the game. I got how it's going to be set up. I'm kind of excited about it. I'm going to try to do a celebrity first game to see it roll out. And, 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 and it's, it kind of goes back to that that dream of anything's possible um you know if i can't i'm maybe i'm not going to be a sports commentator maybe i'm not this and that but what's to say i can't create my own league my own game if it fails okay but at least i tried and so you know I, for a while i stopped dreaming and i had to re, re i had to re kind of revigorate myself to say you know what it's okay to dream the impossible you know it's okay to dream that you can start your own league with a with a with a game that was derived from space called floatball. Hey, why not try? It? And 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 if it works then it's great and if it doesn't that's okay. You know, how many people are sitting now and on a deaf saying I wish I would have, yeah. So, I'm gonna Yeah, talk. look,
1: the, the odds of uh you going from Austin, Texas as a young kid uh playing in the NFL for 11 seasons it's a lot longer odds doing that than there are making float ball big.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, and, and you're right. And that's probably what the thing that keeps driving me is that the odds are uh, it can't happen. You know, will will lightning strike twice. You know, who knows? Uh, but uh, if it does, then, you know, I, I no longer have to be Ken Harvey, the Washington Redskins player. It's a nice piece of me, but I'm Ken Harvey the commissioner of the flow Bowl league. I am the man. So, yeah.
1: uh, I like that. All right. I know you, you've got to go here in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, so one of the standard questions we ask most of our guests towards the end is uh, imagine you're a talk show host. It's not your talk show. You're, you're going to be a substitute get a uh, host, but you get to pick the guest mm-hmm. one time only you get to pick a male, a female, uh, a musical act, and a stand-up comedian if you're into stand-up comedy. These people can be alive or dead. They can be famous or not famous. They can be family, friends, people you've never met. They can be whoever you want them to be. And this question is meant to be a little more revealing about who you are and your taste.
0: Prince and Richard Pryor. (laughs) Prince and Richard Pryor.
1: Okay, your musical act in... uh, Okay. Prince. I I love uh, Richard Pryor. I think he's probably the funniest comedian that ever lived. Yeah,
0: some of the stuff he says just... I mean, you know, the, the true test is like... And i know some of the council culture. you can't say some of the things but he was just a genius and, and and all of it people can laugh because it applied to them they would think the same stuff and if i have any sense of humor you know definitely kind of uh, uh that richard pride type of uh, sense of humor and then prince you know some that's i grew up on his songs i grew up uh, listening to his music and so uh I, i've seen his interviews and i don't know if i would have been a good person interviewing him but uh I, I enjoyed his music probably at the, at the time, probably the most. Um, I, I, I listen to old music now, so I, you know, I don't know if there's anybody current or whatever that I would interview, but uh, you know there's a lot of musical talent. I would interview myself. I've, I've written a couple of songs. I would interview myself. I can't <laughs> sing at all. I can't play an instrument, but darn it, I could write a song.
1: <laughs> right, you get four guests total, so the other two are just any man and then and any
0: woman. Lester Holtz. News with NBC okay. News. Uh, I I I run home. My wife will tell you. I run home. I break my neck and try to get home by seven o'clock so I can listen to him on, on his on his news show. Uh, Cause it's kind of like Walter Cronkite. I'm saying it wrong. But way back in the day, yeah. there was somebody that you just really enjoyed or that you trusted with news. And in this crazy world with all the news people. I trust him and his voice and and just, it's like a comfort to me. So I would, I would definitely try to interview him. Uh, and then, um, I, I, I met Dr. J and, uh, I was like a kid. I mean, I was, I was so like a kid in a candy store. I I shook his hand and he was like, yeah. And I was like, man, you're Dr. J. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, you Dr. J and he's like hey I gotta go and I was like you Dr. J and he's like can you let go of my hand and I'm like no man you're Dr. J so I just, <laughs> I just freaked out but it would be cool to you know just to say man I just you know wow you're you're I was, that would be it the whole show would be wow you're Dr. J he's like can you ask me another question
1: <laughs> yeah he, when you and I were growing up he was probably the most famous athlete regardless of sport yeah
0: I, that you know? or, or Muhammad Ali you know yeah Ali was uh one of the first I think Way back when, couldn't go any place in the world. He's one of the most recognized faces in the world. I mean, not just in America, in the world. And so, uh, you know, and he was he was so intelligent. I think people underestimate athletes a lot of times and just think that they're good at sports and that that's all they're good at. And there's so many intelligent guys that when you start talking to them, you're like, wow, I didn't, you know, I didn't even realize. Um, you know, you were that smart, um, not not as a degrading thing. It's just you didn't realize their intelligence went way beyond the average. It was just even more than the most average people or, or more intelligent people. He's like they're you know, borderline geniuses. So
1: yeah, yeah, Muhammad was brilliant. And he's also has more personal courage than any person I've ever read about.
0: Right. I mean, you know, the, 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 the being a, like I always wanted to. I always thought about like during slavery time or during the, the protests in the, in the 60s and 50s and stuff like that. And while, you know, the African-Americans were fighting and we're doing like that, but for how many, I gotta say it like this, I guess, white people that didn't get any recognition, didn't get any name, was banned from their family, but stood up because they believed what was right was right. And, and you know, and you, you would never hear a book or you never see the history of that person but they believed in what was right. You know, this—we're all humans, and we're all treated the same way, and we should be treated that way. Man, that—that that to me is—is—is is, is courage, because now the whole world is saying, "No, you—you're supposed to be somewhere." And it's so easy to go along with the flow, and it's hard to just stand and say, "You know what? What is right is right, and we can't do this, even in the face of judgment against your own people." So. Yeah, that—that that,
1: that conviction uh, that Muhammad had his entire life is just uh otherworldly
0: yeah right be, to be convicted enough to 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 go to jail to be convicted enough to you know be talked about to be convicted enough to the not give in to peer pressure to go back to the way you were it's to to stand up for what you believe in you know right or wrong good or bad that that's pretty amazing so uh he was good you know there, there there's some there are a lot of people that you would love to, you know, say, "Oh, I love to interview you." I don't know if I would be
1: the best interviewer. I'd just be sitting there with my mouth open, like. You know, so. Yeah, I, I imagine Muhammad had that impact on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's close real quickly. Uh, just tell me about your family.
0: Yeah, so my wife, my wife met in college, uh, and you know, I, I mentioned her a little bit in the book, but she's a, a major part of any success that I've had. Um, you know, she's been the support, been the rock a lot of times, having to deal with me the side of me that most people don't get a chance to see and that knucklehead and and insecure and crying on her shoulders and all that stuff she's been rocking she's a she's with me we've been married 33 years she's interior designer uh i have two boys my oldest is uh, anthony uh he works with uh uh, amazon now he's it guy he has a story on his own then my youngest is marcus you know super smart went to william and mary got his masters but been traveling the world On his motorcycle and has been to pretty much every uh country uh, on on his motorcycle by himself and he's living a dream and doing it himself he's you know he has he works full-time remotely he's he's doing it himself and it's he's doing what millions of people dream about doing and i couldn't be any more proud of him and so uh that's my family we had our oldest son nathaniel he passed away at six months uh, from SIDS. Uh, Sorry but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's things happen, and and you know, for us, we believe he's in heaven. So, um, so so that's it. That's my family, and uh, yeah, my oldest Anthony's getting married next year, so this, this would be uh, yeah, this would be the first. I got to learn some dance moves, yeah, I guess.
1: Dance, dance moves, and then wrap your head around being a grandfather, maybe. Uh,
0: you, you know, I've been I've been I've been dealing with that, and I don't know. At one time, I thought I would've been a great grandfather, but I, I'm finding myself being more cranky and <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't, uh, hopefully I'll be a good grandfather, but the proudest moment to me would be if my boys would give their kids and say, hey, grandpa did this book for us. Uh, that to me would be the dream, right? And I, and I forced all my boys, all my boys have my same middle name. So <laughs> we'll see if they, if they pass it along to their kids.
1: I think they have to, right?
0: I, you know, no pressure. You be who you are, but uh, I keep I keep throwing out the hints. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well Ken, hey, I really appreciate you doing this. You're you're a very good person to uh take the time to do this. Uh not not everybody that has lived your life would take the time to do this. So I really appreciate it.
0: No, I appreciate you. I mean if if one thing you know like say we teach these little lessons, your tenacity you kept at it and and uh, I appreciate you uh you know some people get mad and get an attitude and want to talk bad about the person, and you just kept, you know, hey, is this time good? And, and can we do it here? And so, I appreciate you doing it and making this interview so easy. Yeah, lots, lots not everybody's a great interviewer, so you made it really easy and simple. Thank you,
1: awesome, Ken. Enjoy the rest of your night. I
0: appreciate Gen it. Of the universe, <laughs> all, right. Right on. all right, buddy. Take care,
1: Bye. All Right. See you. <laughs>
0: If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.